ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Bright Braids podcast. Today, my guest is Jacob Ennis, and today we're going to talk about AI, artificial intelligence, and education, things that go along with that. So welcome to the show, Jacob. Thank you very much. It's absolutely wonderful to be here. Hey, thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. So I've been inside of the technology world for a really long time, even when I was, I'm I'm 28 now, even when I was a lot younger, high school, even middle school age, I was always working on computers, you know, f- fixing friends' computers, going to, you know, fixing friends' parents' computers. They would pay me a couple of bucks to, you know, to, to remove a virus or fix whatever it was. And so I've always had this passion for technology. And then I ended up going into education. So I actually taught for five years after college. While I was in college, I worked in the uh, university IT department. And then after college, I became a teacher and I taught middle school and high school. I stuck with the technology thing. I taught a lot of technology courses. I was teaching kids how to use 3D printers, how to repair basic computer problems, uh, kind of computer literacy stuff that I think a lot of students should just have to be able to use in their general lives. Uh, You know, this entire time I was keeping up with artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, pursuing a lot of that as sort of a hobby. And then I started to uh, to burn out a little bit on the teaching, a little bit of uh, stress involved in it, not a whole lot of uh, money involved in it. And so I think that monetary stress, realizing that I'm getting to the age where I need to be looking forward to purchasing a house, you know, to to being able to start a family, to having the sort of sorts of financial means to make myself successful. And the education job just wasn't there. So I kind of started looking for a new job. And my former boss, the guy who worked in the IT department at Concordia University, where I went to, he calls me up and he says, hey, I'm starting a company. And he said, I know you're a big VR enthusiast. He said, I know you love virtual reality. And he said, I know you're a teacher. And I want to just have a conversation about how you think virtual reality and augmented reality, those sorts of technologies could be used inside of the world of education. And so we have a little chat. I I kind of let him know while we're talking that I'm looking for something outside of education. And fast forward a few months after the school year ends, I started working for, I was the first full-time hire in his startup uh, other than the two co-founders. And so that's uh, that's kind of how I got into the, the field that I'm at right now, where I'm doing a lot of software development, doing a lot of sales work. But as far as artificial intelligence is considered, that's something that I have been keeping an eye on since probably about maybe eight to 10 years ago, when I was teaching students about technology, I made sure to have an entire unit on artificial intelligence because I wanted them to understand that this was a technology that I could see shaping the world. This was something that the world that they're going to grow up in and, you know, the world that we'll still be in too, but especially these, these younger kids, it's going to change everything and they're going to be the ones to shape it. So I made sure to do a lot of research on artificial intelligence for them. And then once I started working for the company that I'm at, uh, we started using in in my development a lot of tools that incorporate artificial intelligence, uh, using AI for some of our programs to 
allow our training and simulation programs to have characters that can carry on human-like conversation and take on personalities. Uh, you know, things to sort of take that artificial intelligence and incorporate it into education, incorporate it into the business world and into the education world in a positive way. And so that's kind of how I've built up my knowledge of technology and AI. So this startup you were working for, is that what the Center for Simulation and Innovation? Yeah. Is that yeah. what that is? Awesome. So can you talk more about like what it is you guys do there? You kind of touched on it. Yeah, yeah. So the Center for Simulation and Innovation is a software development startup that focuses on primarily on training and educational software, but also recently a lot of marketing materials have been we, we've built using our uh, using our software. And we focus on the augmented reality and virtual reality space where it seems like a majority of the companies that are developing for virtual reality and augmented reality are focused on entertainment, where while we design our experiences to be entertaining, their primary design is to to be a, a, a logical tool to use for educators, uh, for business people, for people who are responsible for training in, in the workplace. And so right. with with that augmented reality and virtual reality software, we've been incorporating a lot of artificial intelligence. Augmented reality and virtual reality. Before I hop into the next question, which is how will these benefit or be used in education? Let's break down what is augmented reality and what is virtual reality, just so the audience knows the difference. Yeah, absolutely. So augmented reality and virtual reality are some kind of, I guess you could call them cutting edge terms for pretty simple concepts. With, with virtual reality, the idea of virtual reality is like those Quest headsets that you'll see advertisements for on TV, where you put on a headset and you're in a different digital space. It's something that's not, you know, it takes you, essentially it takes you out of, not physically, but, you know, your senses. It takes your senses out of the real world and into whatever's going on inside of the headset. Augmented reality, it is usually done through a camera or through special lenses that have like, projection inside of them, where with augmented reality, you can look at the real world and it can add digital things on top of it. So the most famous example of augmented reality that I can think of is either Pokemon Go, where, you know, you could use you could catch the Pokemon through your camera or Snapchat. Snapchat filters are a form of augmented reality. Yeah, the Pokemon Go. I forgot all about that. It seems that it was forever ago. Yeah, I mean, it really was. That was all the way back in 2016. I remember that was a wild year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. So much has happened since then. So augmented reality and virtual reality, how can these be used in the classroom? So there are a lot of classrooms that are already adopting virtual reality where lots of classrooms almost every classroom that I've seen has some sort of a laptop cart, usually Chromebooks, inexpensive laptops that the students can can use. Uh, and it's usually like one laptop per student is kind of what the schools strive to achieve. 
And there are some schools that are trying to do this with virtual reality headsets. And the idea behind that is that there are custom virtual reality programs designed for education. So things that allow students to visit historical places or historical time periods, uh, virtual reality experiences that bring more a more immersive place to their learning so that they can be more entertained, they can be more absorbed into what they're learning, and then the knowledge sticks better. As far as augmented reality, that's actually our primary focus for education right now. And we develop a lot of, <laughs> it's essentially extra material that sits on top of things they're already using. So like a textbook, we we can we we develop software that allows the textbooks that already exist in that classroom so no school has to go buy new curriculum for it we can add content layers on top of it that students can access right with their phone camera so they just point their phone camera at the uh, at the pages and maybe they're reading about an animal cell so that animal, a 3D model of that animal cell comes right up out of the page and they can manipulate it. There's video, there's audio, there's characters that they can have conversations with that will teach them things about what they're learning. Uh, really, the possibilities are, are pretty extensive because it's just any sort of digital overlay on top of the content that already exists. So basically, just to make sure I understand, so let's say they wanted to learn about like World War II or something. They could put mm -hmm. on a headset and go like right to the middle of the battlefield or something like that in World War II. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Maybe, yeah. 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 So they could go to the battlefield or they could, or, or maybe it'll take them to like, they put on the headset and it takes them to a little meeting. Um, and inside of that meeting, there's Stalin and Roosevelt, and um, Churchill, and they're all yeah. sitting there, and you can have conversations with all of them. You know, the uh, it's it's sort of a what well, we have the ability to design the software, and the thing that ends up becoming the most valuable is the ideas of what is what is the best idea for us to implement this technology to get kids really excited about learning. So is this technology, is it already in use in any schools right now, or is it still like in the like production phase? So our, our textbook software is currently, it's, it's in a sort of beta development stage where we've, we've used it for children's books before and for other sorts of things. But as far as the classroom goes, we are currently developing a web editor for it so that teachers can bring their own content into it without having to without us having to create the content for all of the pages uh, or without schools having to spend the kind of money needed for custom software development there's we have an editor that will allow them to add their own content their own videos their own audio their own 3d models to the pages of the books that they already have and so we're kind of waiting until that's finished to release it as a whole and the idea is that you know you can design on your own this many pages for this annual subscription. And then if you want extra crazy content, if you want us to design something really special, like artificial intelligence avatars that can talk to the kids or, um, you know, custom designed 3D experiences, then you can contract us for that and, and we'll do that for an extra fee.
Yeah, this is wild. You know, this sounds like it's almost kind of like the magic school bus. You know, remember that old? I love that show. I love Mrs. Frizzle, man. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like kids will actually be able to go inside the human body and learn about cells and and Mm -hmm. things like that. And yeah, there are VR experiences that are out there that are already like that. There's 360 videos on YouTube, hundreds of them that people can just pop on a cheap VR headset, even one of the ones that you slap a phone into and they can experience all that stuff right away. It's uh, it's it's really an incredible platform for education that I think has been underutilized. What about cost? Because all this kind of sounds like it'd be kind of expensive. Is this something that like, you know, schools that maybe don't have that big of a budget, will they be able to afford this? Will cost be prohibitive to getting this technology into students' hands? So my first answer is no. Now, when it comes to virtual reality and using virtual reality stuff inside of the classroom, that can be, especially if you want the nicer headsets, if you want it to be a really good experience, buying quest units or whatever headset you decide on for x amount of students can be cost prohibitive certainly um however that's why the majority of our education focus is towards augmented reality because with the augmented reality with those textbooks or the posters that can be used through a standard phone camera the students in middle high school and at the university level are almost guaranteed to already have a phone with them. And the the teacher is certainly going to have a phone with them. And so the hardware is already there and the school doesn't have to purchase it. All they need to purchase is the is the subscription to either design their own content on top of those textbooks that they have or a little bit extra to to have us design custom content that they need. But regardless it's significantly cheaper than almost any other um, education technology implementation, like buying smart boards for the classroom would be way more expensive than, than getting all of these textbooks integrated with augmented reality. Growing up, I remember being in school, it was pretty much everything was analog. You know, we had computers, Mm -hmm. um, but mainly it was textbooks, worksheets, things like that. And now I see like the future of education is just going to be getting away with that. They might not even use pencils and paper anymore. So my question to you is, I know we talked about the augmented reality and the virtual reality. What is the classroom of the future going to look like? Will there even be a classroom? Will they even like go to a school? Because with these headsets, they could probably just stay at home and just go to a virtual classroom. You know, yeah. is that something that could be done? So I think there's there's a big potential gap between what could be done and what might be done and what should be done. So, you know, I taught for five years. And so teaching is teaching in person is uh, it's integral. It's required having that face to face interaction with you know, with the teacher, with the person who's trying to give you information, with the person who's taking care of your brain. I mean, that is that's super vital developmental stuff. And in the education world, we saw huge fall offs in not only retention of knowledge, 
but social ability and a lot of a lot of other developmental problems because of the two years that students were at home because of COVID. And so I, I'm hoping that we don't make the mistake of saying we have all this wonderful technology. Let's take the kids out of the classroom. I, you know, our, our goal with the educational technology that we make isn't to remove the kids from the classroom or to remove the teacher. It's to make the make the knowledge more interesting, make the content more exciting to learn and to make the teacher's job easier because, I mean, we know that teachers have it tough. And so, you know, giving them tools that they can use to uh, to make their lives simpler. And that's sort of that's sort of our focus. Now, what I think the classroom of the future looks like, I think we're going to see a lot more of the kind of technology that I'm talking about implemented in the classroom. Artificial intelligence, it's already there. It's going to be there even more so. I think the teachers who are trying to keep their students from using artificial intelligence are doing them a disservice. Uh, in my mind, it's like the, it's like math teachers who say no calculators allowed. Look, every kid's got a calculator in their pocket. It's in their phone. They're, they're going to use that in their lives. You should teach them how to use that tool effectively. And so teachers using artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, these, uh, these newer technologies, and showing the students how to use these in a constructive manner, you know, not using them to cheat, but using them to help you with some spell checking, using them to, you know, help you brainstorm and come up with some ideas, uh, things like that. You Using it to be a writing aid as opposed to actually writing your papers for you. Uh, teaching kids those kind of morals and values on using technology is, I think, one of the most important things we can do. How do we go about teaching those morals? Because one thing I hear a lot um reading online. One of my favorite subreddits is the teacher subreddit. And uh, I, my mom and my aunts used to be teachers. So I know a lot about what it's like to be a teacher. And I used to be a security guard in a school. So I've seen a mm -hmm. lot of this stuff. But, you know, a lot of these kids are using chat GPT to write their essays for them. Obviously, that's not right, because you want kids to know how to be able to write a three page paper mm -hmm. and formulate their own ideas. You want kids to be able to be able to read something and then regurgitate it back. So my question is, if these kids, they have chat GPT, they're like, man, I want to go home and play video games. I don't want to write a three page essay on Abraham Lincoln. So let me just use chat GPT to do that. And I kind of understand where they're coming from, because if I was a kid and I had chat GPT, I probably would have done the same thing. So my question is, how do we show kids like, hey, using chat GPT or AI to cheat on an essay or a test is wrong. You should use your own brain. How do we instill that into them? So, I, you know, I think there's two major ways. And I suppose this kind of goes with the way that you would teach a student, show a student anything. Where the first is leading by example. You know, if... If you don't want your students taking the easy, lazy way out, then and whether that's with artificial intelligence or whether or something completely different, just in general, if you want your students to put in the effort, then uh, teachers also have to put in the effort. And teaching is a it's a heavy job. 
there's there's a lot that's going on. You got to you know, there's a lot of students in that classroom and you're expected to make sure that every single one of them meet, meets these certain goals, that nobody gets hurt in the classroom, that there's you know, that there's a certain level of respect. You have to cater to every single student's different um, educational requirements and how they learn. It's it's a very intense job. And so if if a teacher gets exhausted, which happens all the time or or lazy about it then the students will probably feel like they can they can cut corners too and so i think you saying okay showing them that if you can write papers without it then they can write papers without it giving them the support that they need to write that paper without having to use an ai um showing them how to use an ai in the right way and then the students who do end up using an ai uh getting good at recognizing it so you can give them an f because you need the positive reinforcement and the negative reinforcement. Because if a student ge- if a student cheats on a paper and uses ChatGPT for it, and you find out and give them an F, they're not going to do it again. At least not for you. Did you teach during the time of the lockdowns? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. What was my, that uh, like? It was it was pretty crazy because it was my. I taught for one year before the lockdown started. So my second year of teaching was the lockdown, and and that second year of teaching, I started at a new school. So. That first year was pretty wild because the year started very normal. And then we, uh, you know, all the kids went home for spring break and never came back. And so we, and neither did I, I I went, I, it was, the school was in Illinois. I went to visit my parents in Michigan and we got the phone call that the, uh, that the school was going to close and we were going to do all our lessons online for the rest of the year. And so I just stayed at my parents' place for a while. It was it was totally bizarre. And at first, the transition was kind of fun, a little bit. You know, I thought, oh, this will be maybe a month, and we'll be good. We can go back or whatever. And so the students getting online with the students, you know, at first, the Zoom calls were kind of fun, but it got, it got tedious really quickly. And both the students and the teachers realized that being in school and being in the classroom is more mentally healthy for everybody. And so, you know, that there was a lot of struggle with, with boredom, anxiety, depression, things like that, where, you know, these, these kids aren't really socially interacting with each other very much. They're not interacting face to face with their teachers anymore. I'm having to teach kids uh, over a camera while other stuff is going on in the house. Or I, I had one kid driving through the Taco Bell drive through why? And I said, all right, you know, that's <laughs> you can't do that. Like, this that's is hilarious. still it, it's online, but this is still school. Like, get your Taco Bell after the lesson is over. And so it was just it was just a whole different world. And then when we finally got back in person, some of the kids, their parents chose to keep them home. Kids with uh, immunity difficulties, you know, health problems, things like that. We're, we're staying home. And so we had to teach to the classroom and have a headset in our in our ear and teach to the kids online too. Like we had to do both at the same time and everybody was wearing a mask and you couldn't be within X amount of feet of each other. Uh, sports games were getting canceled all the time because if anybody in that other school tested positive for COVID, then everybody had to go get a test. It was wild. And so we we finally got back to normal and then a sinkhole opened up underneath the school and swallowed half of it. So I never oh, had a normal oh, year. 
It was it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a sinkhole opened up and swallowed the school. <laughs> yep, Springfield, what? Illinois was built on a bunch of coal mines, and one of them collapsed, and the school started to fall into that collapsed coal mine, and uh, never had a normal year. That's wild, man. This whole period with the COVID and the lockdowns, you, you had a front row seat to see how teaching and technology can kind of combine. Uh, what kind of lessons did you take away from that? I know you said that having kids in the classroom is integral, mm -hmm. but if you had to go back, like let's say you were like uh, the superintendent of the schools and you had to redo that whole period of time when you were teaching kids via education, what, what would you have done differently? I mean, having the knowledge that I do now, I think, you know, when it when it started, things happened so fast that there were so many teachers who were just completely out of their element. I mean, I, I was I was lucky that I had a lot of experience with technology beforehand. Um, but but a lot of my coworkers, especially older teachers who had been in it for a long time, doing things the same way for, you know, 20 or 30 years, all of a sudden they have to teach from the Internet. A lot of them didn't even have a very reliable computer at home. The computer yeah. they used was the one at work. Uh, a, a lot of people had never used Google Meets or, or Zoom or any of these video chat programs before. Uh, it's It was very difficult for a lot of the teachers to transition to that. And I think a lot of people assume that because students right now are young, that they're always really good at technology. But a lot of the students had trouble with those video chat platforms too, because the only video chat platforms that those students had used were Snapchat and iMessage or FaceTime. And so it was this huge transition and everybody had to figure out how to use this technology basically immediately or else the whole education system would fall apart. And so I, I guess it it proved even further than what's already been proven how important technological literacy is for not only the students, but also the teachers. And having a stronger focus beforehand on technological literacy, I think would have been amazing. I also think it did show us that even though school isn't done very well over the internet, learning is completely possible and working from home has been the, the ability for a lot of people to work from home has been wonderful for all sorts of reasons. It's actually really improved a lot of the productivity of businesses where people can work in an environment that's comfortable to them, don't have to spend the time driving back and forth, don't have the distractions that they might get to choose when they want to come into the office. It's uh, I think it that's been a really helpful aspect. Yeah, another thing, too, is a lot of kids didn't have access to the Internet, mm -hmm. and that was a, a hurdle as well. I started hearing about kids who were going to, like, McDonald's and Starbucks to try and use the Internet to, to get online and stuff. Is, is that another hurdle? Like, you know, because, you know, class is a factor. If you're low income, you might not have the ability to afford like expensive VR headsets or Wi-Fi and things like that. How do we overcome that hurdle? Yeah, that's a, that is, that is a big hurdle. And for COVID, that was huge. I remember there were some lower income students that I had 
And I was buying laptops, just cheap ones, you know, on eBay mm-hmm. and lending them to students because they didn't have a reliable computer. And so if I was in the area, you know, if if they could come, if they could come pick up a laptop or if their parent could come pick up a laptop to borrow from me, I'd, I'd give them a laptop that I found on eBay that was relatively cheap and let them use it because uh, without that, there's no way that they were going to, you know, and that, that was my own money. Like that, <laughs> that was yeah. something that I did out of my own paycheck because they knew that these kids needed to learn. And so that was definitely a bigger hurdle during COVID when the, when the kids weren't in the classroom. Um, I think now that students are back in the classrooms, like I said, with the augmented reality stuff that we do, most of the students already have a phone. If a student doesn't have a phone, leaving a couple of phones that aren't actually connected to any service or, or little tablets or something in the classroom, inexpensive ones that students who either got their phone taken away by another teacher for misusing it or, you know, whatever the case may be, or don't have one, they can use those. And buying an inexpensive Android phone is even cheaper by a pretty wide margin than a Chromebook. And you wouldn't need a one-to-one ratio because most kids are already going to have them. And so it's definitely possible that it could become a problem, but far less of a problem than a lot of things that are already, you know, in the classroom like like the Chromebooks and all of the internet usage that happens for research and everything. Like if a family doesn't have internet, it'll be very difficult for a student to do a research paper unless he goes to the library or like you said, McDonald's. Do you think that Starlink, you know, Elon Musk's company, do you think that Starlink, that could be a way to uh, bridge the internet divide or the internet gap from low income people and, uh, you know, people who do have internet. Are you familiar with what Starlink is? Or? Yeah, it's uh, it's the Elon Musk's like satellite internet. I've seen, I, I've seen a couple of times looking up at you know at night looking up at the sky. I've seen the Starlink satellites all in a line. It's real creepy looking, but mm-hmm. uh, I think Starlink is so interesting to me because Starlink has. I th- I think the original intention of Starlink was to bring internet access to areas that didn't have it yet to allow satellite internet for people in very remote areas or people in areas where the existing internet architecture, the infrastructure simply wasn't up to par, but, and I haven't looked a lot at it, so I'm not 100% sure, but from what I've heard from other people who've either used it or looked at it, uh, Starlink definitely isn't any less expensive than other internet options. And since a lot of the low, since a lot of lower income people tend to live in more densely populated areas like cities, uh, the infrastructure for internet will already be there. And it's, it'd probably be less expensive to use cable internet. Now, does, <clears throat> could it be possible that there could be some sort of subsidied program where people under a certain income level could use it for a reduced rate, maybe. And I'm not, you know, I haven't looked into Starlink very much, so I'm not sure if a program like that exists. But if that's the case, then yeah, it could be it could be great for people who are lower income. But as as it stands, as I understand it right now, it's kind of just another option for internet that allows people living in remote places access to to the web. So when you were teaching um, 
I know earlier you were talking about the augmented reality and how kids could use their cell phones to further their education and get more information out of their textbooks. My question is, I've heard a lot of teachers also say that cell phones have been a major distraction in schools. So is this augmented reality kind of like a way to just, you know, sort of get a, more of an embrace of the cell phones to get kids to not be distracted by cell phones, but to use them to further their education? Or should we be limiting the use of cell phones in schools? Yeah. So cell phones are a huge distraction in the classroom. Um, a lot of schools, especially middle schools, just have the kids leave their phones in their lockers and they don't, you know, they don't, they don't bring the phones out during the day. And that way they have the phone on them in case there's an emergency or in case they need to text a parent during, you know, pickup time. But regardless of all that, I do think that the way that technology is used by students in the classroom has been a problem for, for a long time. Uh, it seems to me in the education world that hardware or software will come out like smart boards and iPads and all of these things that, that the schools want to use. And the schools have to use their technology budget on something or else they won't get the technology budget next year. So maybe they go out and buy a cart of iPads or they go out and buy smart boards for every single classroom and nobody knows how to use them. There's no implementation plan. Uh, they've, they've got the thing, <clears throat> but there's no, there's no plan in place for how that thing is actually going to be useful. And so it either sits there and does nothing or it becomes a distraction. And now that kids have phones in their own pockets a, a lot of the time and are, and sometimes bringing them into classrooms, that can be a distraction too. So the software that we develop comes with its own plan. This is what it is. This is how you use it. This is the hardware you use it with. And, and, and that way, teachers have a hand in the design process, and they know exactly how it's going to be used. They know exactly which pages in the textbook have that augmented reality because they either told us to build it or they built it themselves. And they know exactly how it's going to be used with phones and things like that. So it's, it's a way to take the technology that is usually a distraction in the classroom and turn it into something beneficial. And then as soon as the students are done with that, that activity, with that lesson, with those pages, then they put their phones away, you know, and go back to normal class. This isn't it's not supposed to replace the standard textbook. It's not supposed to replace the teacher. It's just supposed to add on top of it. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but are you looking to reach a dynamic and engaged audience of curious minds? Well, look no further. Bright Brains Podcast is the perfect platform to showcase your business or product. You'll be able to reach a diverse, intelligent audience and engage with listeners passionate about personal development, technology, and more. Elevate your brand through thought-provoking discussions. Don't miss this opportunity to promote your business on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the market. Contact us today to discuss advertising options and elevate your brand to the next level. Contact us at brightbrainspod at gmail.com to secure your advertising spot on Bright Brains today. Again, that's Bright Brains with a Z. Pop.
pod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Now, back to the podcast. So one thing I've heard a lot of young teachers uh, say one of the obstacles they have is the income. You know, like you mentioned earlier, you said you got out of teaching because you wanted to buy a house. And I know eventually you probably want to have a family and be able to support a family. And a lot of teachers can't do that. So my question is, what needs to change behind the scenes to get more people into teaching? Because I see so many teachers going out of it just because they can't support themselves. And is there a way that technology can help uh, get more young people into teaching? So this is, I mean, when it comes to the world of education, this is the big one right here. This is teachers are are dropping like flies. Uh, I'm I'm sure we've you've been hearing for the past few years about the the big teacher shortage and how there mm-hmm. there aren't enough teachers to to properly teach these kids. And the worse that ratio gets, the more students there are per teacher, the harder things become for the teachers that are still there, and the worse the education experience is going to be because. It's impossible for a single teacher to really properly look after and teach a classroom of 50 kids. And it's, you know, it's getting to the point where that that those sort of numbers are becoming way more common. And so. So, I mean, the the teachers. Can't really do much about it. It's it's sort of an integral societal problem at this point that the schools are given certain budgets for certain things. The schools usually can't afford to pay the teachers really any more than they already get, especially in low-income areas. And so this is something that has to change all the way up at the governmental level. It's It goes all the way to the top. And the people who run the, you know, who create the laws, who create the rules, the standards for education in the United States they're not teachers, they're politicians. So they don't, they're separated. They don't understand what it's really like on that ground floor. And I think that's the gap that needs to be changed. Teachers need to be leading education, not politicians. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, man. I'm curious, is there like any kind of way, like like maybe education? I mean, I'm sorry, that technology can kind of like bridge this gap on like getting young people into teaching and stop them from dropping out of, I know the issue is kind of like money, you know, first and foremost, but um, I guess what I'm asking is, do you have any ideas that can like, like if you were in charge, what would you do to get more young people in teaching and, and stop them from falling out? Yeah. I'm, I mean the, so while technology isn't really able to solve the money issue of it. Technology is able to help with the stress issue where, you know, teaching is a lot of work and learning how to use being given the knowledge on how to use technology to make that easier. There are so many different ways that teachers can use artificial intelligence to make their jobs easier. Uh, Having having chat GPT or other AI algorithms assist with grading simple stuff while chat GPT isn't giving the kid the grade, but it's going through and pointing out the things that the teacher should look at. So the teacher has sort of a template of, 
okay, here's the paper. Here are some things that this AI noticed that are that might be lacking. Now it's easier for me to skim it, save some of my time. Or using artificial intelligence to help with the basics of lesson planning. ChatGPT, if, if you give it information, it can it can design a nice looking worksheet or it can, you know, it, it can help you come up with interactive ideas to do with your kids in order to teach them a certain type of lesson. You can say, what's a good lesson idea for, you know, what's a good interactive lesson idea for teaching students about the Statue of Liberty? And ChatGPT will spit something out. And so being able to use those tools to not to replace the uh, the work that the teacher goes in, but to make things easier and less time consuming, I think is really important for teachers to be doing as the job continues to get more stressful. And keeping that balance is, is very important to keeping people happy in their jobs. And then I also think schools fostering as positive an environment as possible for their staff is also vital. And I was I was lucky enough that this the schools that I've taught at have done a wonderful job of really taking care of their staff. And you know, I still I still had my personal reasons for for leaving the field, but I have absolutely nothing negative to say about the schools that I've taught at before they've uh with the limited resources they've had, they've done a wonderful job at creating a, a, an environment that feels constructive and safe. And it feels, you know, like like you and your boss and your coworkers are on the same page and working towards the same goals. And that's that's completely vital, too. One thing I also hear about in the classroom, and this is something I saw when I was working as a security guard, and that's behavior. You know, a lot of these kids seem to be out of control. They seem to lack discipline. Is there any way in which technology can help solve this kind of problem? So this problem is, I think, in a lot of ways created by improper use of technology. These students today, and I'm, you know, I'm considered born in 96, so I'm considered kind of part of like that technological generation a little bit. I have, you know, I, I grew up around computers and things like that. But but when I was growing up, when I was a kid, there was, your family probably had one computer and that was mm -hmm. it. And you had to share it with the other members of your family. And so you would have to, if you wanted to go on the internet, you had to go to the internet. Now, the kids have constant access to everything right in their pockets. And so the problem with this is that on the, on the parental and teacher side, it's very difficult to monitor pretty much impossible what these kids are actually doing on that, on that device. Um, I mean, there were, when I taught, I taught a little bit of middle school, at least half of the middle school boys in that class, sixth and seventh graders were already addicted to pornography because mm. It's because it's just there all the time. It's everything is so easy to access and everything is so immediate. And there have been a lot of benefits to this too. But the downside is that it changes the way that students interact with each other socially. They're so used to acting through through the internet that they they struggle with their interactions 
in person. They're used to being able to say what they want on the internet and not be affected by it. So then they start saying these things person to person. They start saying them in real life, especially after COVID when they hadn't actually interacted face to face with the teacher in a long time or with a lot of their peers. And they all say things to each other that they would say on the internet that if I had said those sorts of things in person, I would have gotten my ass beat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It, it's like technology has changed so rapidly. Like you were talking about how, uh, growing up, a family would have one computer. I remember having Windows 98 because I, mm -hmm. I was born in 1990 mm -hmm. and my computer it had the massive, you know, hard drive and it took floppy disks. Yep. I remember how I would like save an essay on a floppy disk and then like take it to school and, you know, put it in the school computer and print up my essay at the school. And now all these kids, they have the internet at their fingertips. I heard somebody say they basically have access to the library of Alexandria in their pocket. Yeah. But absolutely. instead of, instead of using it for tech uh, learning and things like that, they're using it for pornography and a bunch of other stuff. You know, kids are being exposed to a lot that I feel like they shouldn't be exposed to. Mm -hmm. And my question is, how do we fix that? Because, you know, kids shouldn't be seeing, I think they said like the average age of first porn exposure in the United States is like seven years old or yeah. something like that. that and that, that doesn't surprise me. Honestly, I'm a little bit surprised just because everything is a screen now. I'm a little bit surprised that that exposure doesn't happen even earlier. Yeah, you know, the, night. and that's that's like the uh, somebody doesn't have to be looking for it at all. It can be, you know, it can be a kid who's trying to to watch some something completely different, watch a cartoon or or whatever it would be, and an ad pops up, and it's pornographic, and that's you know, it, it's it's, and it, it's not like. I don't know. It, pornography is something that's always existed. It, it's just the immediacy of it. And it's not just pornography either. It's every idea from every possible corner of the world, which is amazing that people can access all that. But that much all at once on a developing mind is that's a lot. That's very intense. And mm -hmm. it's it's something that a child's mind isn't necessarily designed to be able to take all of that in and react to it in a rational way. And so really the, the only way to, I guess, in quotations, fix this problem, um, technology is vital. It's important. Kids need to be using technology. They need to understand it so that they can have successful lives, <clears throat> but they need to be using it in the right way. And that's something that schools can help promote with using technology in a way that's very constructive making sure that the students understand what the benefits of technology are and what the dangers of it are. And ultimately, most of it is going to be done through the parents. And if a kid has parents who say, man, this iPad is the best babysitter ever. I'm just going to throw this iPad in front of the kid and wander away for a few hours. That's That doesn't work. That's not teaching them appropriate use of technology. But the the parents who expose their their kids to technology but do it in a way that's monitored and do it in a way where 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 that kid is is constantly learning 
what technology is capable of without being exposed to everything all at once, that's that's how you're going to get a student, a kid, an adult who's who's well balanced in their usage of technology and whose uh, whose mentality hasn't been changed developmentally by information that they shouldn't necessarily have had access to. How do we promote that? Like, how do we promote parents teaching their kids proper technology usage? You know, because you, you mentioned about the iPad being a babysitter. And, you know, it's like I'll go to a restaurant or I'll be out in public and I'll see young kids just glued to their iPad, you know. And mm-hmm. the thing is that you have so many parents out there maybe who are single mothers. They're working two, maybe even three jobs just trying to make ends meet. And, you know, they don't have time to really watch what their kids are consuming online. So yeah. how, how do we fix that? I mean, is is it even able to be fixed? And I mean, in, I think it can be helped. I think there's, you know, there's never the Internet is, is a tool. The a cell phone is a tool. Artificial intelligence is a tool. Uh, they can all be used for awesome things or they can be used for really terrible things and as the world develops into these technologies we're going to see both happen we're going to see the worst and we're going to see the best we've already seen um artificial intelligence has been able to come up with some really cool solutions to some really major problems but you can also use artificial intelligence especially if it's one of the unregulated ones to teach you how to make a bomb like there's you know there's there's this wide gap of what's possible with any of these things. The internet's exactly the same way. You can use the internet to communicate with friends from across the world, learn new things about new cultures. And you can also use it to bully people and to, you know, to, to lower people's self-esteem and say horrible things. So ultimately, I think it comes down to the parents and that a lot of times why parents don't teach their kids how to use technology in a constructive way is because they don't understand the technology and they're not comfortable with it or because a lot of a lot of kids being born now generation alpha their parents use that technology in a negative way growing up and they're not sure how to turn it around and try to teach their kids how to use it in a positive way so technological literacy for parents I think is is super important where it shows these are all of the really awesome things that that you can do with it. Here are some things you can show your students or your kids that will be entertaining for them. They'll enjoy that they'll learn from. And here are the the limits based on, you know, actual scientific mental studies of what affects kids how. Here are the things that you should show them at each development point. Here are the things that you shouldn't. And if that sort of curriculum is made available, if that sort of knowledge is made available to parents early on and in a widespread way, I think that could help a lot. That's definitely, you know, something that we as a society need to improve upon. Hopefully we can figure that out because Generation Alpha worries me. Yeah, but me I want to step outside of the education realm mm-hmm. and I want to ask you, how do you see things like augmented reality and virtual reality shaping society outside of education, like just in their regular day to day with work, entertainment and things like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So VR is getting a lot more popular. It's it's while while VR has been like a big buzzword, it's been around for at least 10 years in like the public consciousness and and longer than that, honestly. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I don't know if you remember a movie called Lawnmower Man. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah, that, it's funny how that movie has aged. Some of the things in it are, are definitely a little off the wall, but you're yeah. right. That concept has been around forever. I mean, William Gibson in, in the 1980s wrote Neuromancer, which was talking about people before the internet even existed, talking about people putting on a headset to physically enter these digital worlds that we're all connected together. I mean, it's been, it's been science fiction for, for ages. And now it's, you know, now it's real and now it's actually affordable. You can pick up one of those MetaQuest 2 headsets for 200 bucks and it's got everything you need. You don't need to connect it to a computer or anything. You can have virtual reality entertainment right there as soon as you pull it out of the box. And so as it sort of, as virtual reality technology has sort of trickled its way to being an in-home item, being something that a lot of people have and can afford easily, I think virtual reality is going to have an impact on a lot of things. The, the way that companies do marketing is going to be different because they're going to be focusing on three-dimensional experiences. The way that people experience entertainment is going to be different. Movies in 360 are more of a more of a total possibility. Uh, audio design to, to match that movement is, you know, something that's going to come along. Virtual reality headsets that are smaller and lighter and more powerful so that it feels like you're wearing nothing on your face and it's about the size of a pair of sunglasses. These are things that we'll see in the future. Augmented reality, it's it's the same. I think augmented reality has an even more exciting future because I think it's more accessible. People typically, if you're going to pull yourself completely out of the real world, then you have to be able to give 100% of your attention to whatever it is that you're doing. When it's augmented reality, you can have that digital overlay. You can be doing whatever work or entertainment is there digitally while also still interacting with people in the real world. And I, I think that's going to be key for the future. And I think it's going to be in our contact lenses. There's mm. already, there already exists some prototype designs of contact lenses that are capable of augmented reality. They're simple right now, but the technology is getting there. Within the next 10 years, full color contact lens screens where we'll be able to see digital overlays on top of the real world without feeling like we're wearing anything. I think that'll be an easy achievement for, you know, for people to do by that time. Yeah. One thing I see happening uh, within the next 10 years, maybe even sooner is uh, like, let's say you're driving, right. Mm -hmm. And on the windshield would have like an augmented overlay. So let's mm -hmm. say you have directions, it would like put a little arrow, like you would see the arrow, which way to turn, like on the actual road in front of you. Yeah. You know, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see how all this is, is going to go. Is there anything about AI and augmented reality that kind of gives you pause or worries you? Augmented reality not specifically. That's something that I've that I've been working with, and that's kind of been around for 
in its current state for quite a while where augmented reality i think while it's it's a way to add digital elements on top of the world around you there's there's not a ton of room for it to be used in super damaging ways like you know sure there people will make augmented reality programs that can expose kids and and whatnot to things they shouldn't see but that's already there on the internet like these are already things that the kids are exposed to when it comes to artificial intelligence that's that's the big one that's what's going to change everything the uh ai is like when people during the 1990s were having their minds blown by the internet and couldn't and no if, if you went back to the 1990s or even the early 2000s and asked anybody what they think the internet would be like 10 20 30 years down the road none of them would be able to tell you what the internet is actually like nobody could have ever predicted how we would end up using the internet and how integral it's become to everybody's li lives ai is the next internet Artificial intelligence is going to be that integral to everything, to our infrastructure, to our communication, to the way that we live our, our standard daily lives. And kind of like I said before, artificial intelligence is a tool and it's a tool that we're going to have to adapt to. Um, there's Artificial intelligence is going to do amazing things. Artificial intelligence with the computing power that's available through it will be able to solve major problems for us. It's going to help us engineer better things. It's going to help us create better medical technology. It's going to, you know, it, it's it's going to make a better world in a lot of areas. And in a lot of other areas, it'll probably be a problem. Um, because regardless of how many rules or laws are put into place governing how AI is supposed to be used. Just like the internet, people will use it as they see fit. And people with the right kind of technical knowledge will be able to make it do whatever they want it to do. And so the question kind of comes down to instead of what laws can we put in place? Because, you know, sure, the United States might put laws about what companies can do with their AI. But what about that one person who's making, who's who's building an AI algorithm in their basement? What about China? What about, you know, it's yeah. what's going to, people will use it the way that they want to use it. And so the, the question becomes, how do we encourage and teach people to use it properly? And I guess that's something that we'll have to see as, as time goes on, how is AI going to manifest itself? And I don't think artificial intelligence is going to be some world-ending technology. I don't think the robots are going to rebel and cause problems. I think people are going to use AI, and that'll cause problems, just like people have been causing problems with internet. And before that, people caused problems with books. And before, I mean, and before that, word of mouth, because people, you know, people are broken. People always cause problems, and AI is just another tool that people can use to do either really cool things or really awful things. Yeah, I think that there's going to be a lot of speed bumps and there's we're going to have to like learn the hard way, you know? Like, mm -hmm. for example, you were saying in order for politicians to really take notice and say, hey, there needs to be a change, I think like bad things are going to have to happen and then they're going to be like, oh, we should do something about this. And then 
they'll they'll fix it. That's what I mean by speed bumps. So here's one thing I see happening, right? With either augmented reality or virtual reality, maybe like a fake incident would happen. Like let's say for example, like a famous celebrity, there's a video of a famous celebrity beating his wife or something. And it goes viral on the internet, right? Or not even a celebrity. Let's just say it's a random guy. They see him beating his wife, but he didn't really do it. It was a fake video. Right, so like a, a deep mob, fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. A mob goes after this guy, and they, they beat him up and kill him. And then they find out, oh, wait, this really didn't happen, you know? Something else that's happening now, too, like over in the Middle East, there's this whole thing in Israel and Palestine. And then there are, there are these videos coming out of horrific things happening. And then there are people online, they're saying, oh, that's a deep fake. That didn't really happen. That's AI. And I'm like, who do I trust? Yeah. You know? And what, what's going on? Footage, photos can't be taken. That Everything has to be taken with a grain of salt right now. Um, yeah. when, when talking about the Israel-Hamas conflict, it is... For, and I suppose this has been true to one extent or another for a long time, because different media sources, uh, different people have always been able to change the information to, to suit their needs. But now it's easier. And so, you know, there'll be there'll be videos online of things happening during the conflict. There'll be reports coming out. And for one of the first times in my life, I have zero idea what's true and what's not no idea yeah Uh, it's it it, is it's scary and so i think the question then becomes we we know that the things that we see aren't necessarily trustworthy and you know i i think a lot of us growing up our parents or teachers told us you can't trust everything you see on the internet and that's even more true today than it was then but so how do we figure out what to trust where you know as this technology gets better at mimicking what's real, how can we spot the difference? And so that's been part of my reasoning for becoming super educated on artificial intelligence is is learning how to spot the telltale signs of when something is developed by a person and when something's not. And AI keeps getting better, but so do the algorithms that are used to figure out whether or not artificial intelligence is being used. And so there, while it's more difficult, there are still ways to, to cross-check and to see what's real and what's not. And I think it's healthy, no matter what, in, in any situation, to take the information that you're given, especially the information online, with a grain of salt and to do your own research. You know, there, there's a quote, I think it was Mark Twain, who said something like, um, a lie gets up and flies around the world a hundred times before the truth gets up and puts his pants on, you know? Yeah. So it's like, even if we have the tools to discern what's real and what's fake, you know, once something fake gets out there, people will just start repeating it. React. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so that, that's the problem. Are you familiar with mid journey? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they recently came out with, a new like version six or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's insane. The kind of images, you know, I used to be able to look at a mid journey image and be like, Oh, that's fake. I could tell instantly. Now I can't anymore. And yeah. so it, it's, it's, 
you know, it can do text now. So graphic designers and things like that, their jobs are pretty much about to be kaput, you know, because if somebody needs a logo or anything like that, they can just type in like, yo, hey, I need a logo for my coffee shop. And then bam, MidJourney has it, you know. So what do we do about loss of jobs uh, to AI and things like that? I know it's kind of a big question, but it's definitely real. You know, yeah. it's something I worry about. So what I've seen a lot of working in the technology industry, I've I've worked with a lot of people who's who are on, I guess, that sort of list of of people whose jobs may be in jeopardy, including in in some ways myself. I do a lot of software development. And so these these artificial intelligence algorithms uh, can write better computer code than I can in a lot of situations because they know all of the computer languages. Um. I don't think artificial intelligence is going to remove very many jobs. I think it's going to change them. Instead of having people who know how to do graphic design really well, artificial intelligence and the development of it might mean that instead of hiring somebody who knows how to do graphic design really well, you hire someone who really, really knows how to use artificial intelligence to help with graphic design or you know instead of instead of hiring a game designer who knows all the computer code you hire a game designer who knows how to knows the concepts of designing a really good game and knows how to use that artificial intelligence to help him build the code and so i I think for anybody listening the best way to ensure that you're not replaced by artificial intelligence isn't necessarily to switch careers to something that seems non-replaceable, but instead to really learn how to use those artificial intelligence tools. So that way, the companies are still going to need somebody to manipulate the AI, somebody who really knows their chops on how to use the current tools to create what they want to be created. So take those artificial intelligence tools, learn how to use them, and your job is secure. So um, final question, what is your hope for AI and augmented reality and virtual reality? What is your hope that this will improve society? Like what are some things that you would love to see happen? Yeah, so my hope for, for this technology, for all of these, is that they're used in the kind of way that benefits people without replacing them. We're not replacing the classroom. We're not replacing the teachers. Uh, We're not replacing the content creators, the developers. I use uh, an animation software for character animations that's assisted by AI. And what the AI does, it doesn't create the animations for you. But when you move a certain part of a character, especially if they they're like a look like a person, the artificial intelligence knows based on how the human body works, where the other parts of the body will also move to make it look natural. So it speeds up the process of developing that animation and makes it look more fluid and real. The art is still there. 
the creativity is still there. That's the kind of way that I love artificial intelligence being used. I want to see it make all of our lives, all of our jobs easier and more productive. And I think it has that capability, as well as augmented reality and virtual reality, provided that a lot of the implementation is meant to help the creators to assist the creative process and not replace it. Because if it replaces the creative process, then we're getting a soulless world where all of our art is created by a machine. We want people to be able to bring their ideas to life with more speed and with the power to, to make it more immersive. But we don't want those people who are creating those ideas to go away. That's my hope as well. So before I let you go, man, where can people go to find out more about the Center for Simulation Innovation? And also, do you have anything of yours that you would like to promote? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we've got a website at centerforsimulationinnovation.com. We also have a Facebook page and a LinkedIn page. You can check those out just by searching the Center for Simulation and Innovation. And also, if anybody is curious about augmented reality and virtual reality, curious about using augmented reality for some sort of marketing purposes where we can design business cards or we can design textbook information, pretty much anything that exists in the real world, we can put augmented reality on it and do custom software development. So if there's anybody who's listening who's curious about it, you can also call me directly at 734-330-3445. Um, and I guess if this podcast was interesting, uh, talking about AR, VR, AI, Keep, you know, take a look at our website or our Facebook page every so often because we're always posting about some of the new technologies that we're working with. And we're also looking for beta testers. So if there's anybody who wants to try some of our software to uh, and give us some feedback on it, that would be that also be pretty stellar. All right. This has been a great conversation, Jacob. I've really learned a lot and I'm really interested to see the way these technologies can be used in the classroom. Yeah. Thanks again yeah, for thank coming you very on. much. Hey, no problem. You have a nice day. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for another enlightening conversation here on Bright Brains. I hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration to fuel your own bright ideas. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or however else you listen to this podcast. Also, we can be found on all major social media. Just type in Bright Brains with a Z. And remember, the brightest minds are those that never stop seeking knowledge.